church that he purchased with his blood. Amen? And as such, um, there, there are things that, that he wants us to come into alignment with. Um, the natural question that should be asked once we are saved is this question. How should I now live? Don't you think that's a natural question? When we've been saved, when we have repented of our sins, that which means we've died to, the, to our flesh, when we have been baptized in the name of Jesus, which means we've had circumcision of the heart, and we, we are coming into covenant with him, and we have been filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, that the Holy Ghost has come into our lives. Um, when that takes place in our lives, then we are born again. That is what constitutes being born again. So when you hear a preacher say to be born again, that is what it means to be born again. Um, and after we have been born again, the question that we should begin to ask ourselves is, how should I live now? Uh, since this is the case and I have been born again and God has done this great thing in my life, what about me should change? In, since I have responded to the gospel... The gospel's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, infilling of the Holy Ghost is our response to that gospel. With that being the case, so what about my life needs to change? There are people who will tell you nothing needs to change. But the Bible would disagree with them. The Bible would tell us that we should change. And I'm going to do my best. Um, I... I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to defend myself, okay? Is that all right? I'm going to do my best to not turn every single message I preach about this back into a message about the Bible, <laughs> all right? But I'm going to keep coming back to tell you, you got to hold on to the Bible. Right. And I hope, I, I, I sincerely hope, I can remember being a, a I told you I was going to try to stay with my notes, and here I go, huh? <sighs> Can't trust a preacher. Um, I remember as a kid, different things my pastor in Texas would say that when I was just a kid, I was nine years old when we left there. But there are things he used to say that have stuck with me all of my life because he would repeat them often. I pray our kids in this church get so used to hearing their pastor say, you've got to take the whole word of God and live by the word of God that years from now it still rings in their ears. And, and I would hope that wouldn't bother you that I would keep coming back to that. I don't believe it does. But I, I, I'm not trying to make every message a message about the, 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 the supremacy of the Bible. But I will remind you, we need the supremacy of the Bible in our lives. So what should change about me? Well, the answer to that is found in living a life of consecration and holiness unto the Lord, which is separation. That is separation. I would tell you tonight that it is impossible for something, for a body to be disconnected from the head and yet for that body to have life. Would you agree with that? It's an impossibility for the body to be disconnected from the head and have life. And if we are disconnected from Christ, who is the head of the body, and we are the body, Paul taught us in the New Testament. We are the body of Christ, and he is the head of that body. If we are disconnected from him, 
then we are no longer alive, but we are in spiritual death. When we become disconnected from the head, we enter into a, uh, into a place of spiritual death. There are a lot of people who will go to church who think they're alive. And the Bible has somewhat to say about people who think that they're alive. They think, they are convinced, they have convinced themselves that they are alive. But they are not alive unto, unto God. They are only alive uh, in this fleeting thing called life. This vapor that is here for a moment and then it vanishes away. They're alive to that, but they're not alive to God. And just because we feel the presence of God does not mean we are alive to God. And I would tell you that the longer you live for God, the more you begin to know about God. You need to be careful you don't get caught up in the same delusion that Satan has convinced some people to get caught up into. And that is, if they can just go feel the presence of God, that will mean that they're right and, and, and they're okay in what they do. That's not the case all the time. We've got to make sure that we are connected to the head, which is Christ. And if we're not connected to that head, then we are alive. If that head, who is holy, who said, be ye holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. If that head who said, I'm holy, and because I'm holy, I want you to be holy. If the head is holy, doesn't it make sense that he wants the body to be holy as well? And so he has asked us to come into this life of holiness, which is the nature of God. To be connected to Christ demands separation from the world. No man can serve two masters. If any man loved the world, the Bible said, then the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your flesh or the world or Satan or whatever you want to put there. You cannot serve two masters. You will be connected to one and you will be dead to the other. Either we are connected to Christ and dead to our flesh or we are connected to the world and dead to the spirit. I'm going to say that again. Either we are connected to Christ and dead to our flesh. We're not being driven and making decisions based on our flesh, but we're connected to Christ. Either that's the case, or we are connected to the world, and we are dead to the Spirit. And we may think we're connected to God, but I'm here to tell you, we'd better search our hearts very carefully and search the Scripture to find out how connected with Him we are. Is that all right? So... It is, it is this thing called separation. God established his church. He always had a vision for his church that she would have upon her a marked difference from the world. That's why he gave commandment and said to come out from among them and be ye separate. In a world of increasing similitude, there should be a glaring difference as the world uh, increases in its, in its coming together of things that are ungodly, there should be a more and more glaring difference between the church and the world. All right? As the world continues its progression, 
the church is going to look more and more different from the world. I'm not just talking about our outward appearance. I'm just talk, I'm talking about the whole kit and caboodle. Isn't that a great phrase right there, kit and caboodle? The whole kit and caboodle. All of it, everything about us, the way I think, differs from the way the world thinks. And I'll tell you something right now. We better be so careful because, because there are so many voices and I, I know I hit this, but let me hit it one more time that the scripture says none of them are without signification. There are so many voices that that are screaming for our attention. They are screaming their agenda at us. And we better be so very careful that we are not getting our agenda from all the other voices that are screaming at us. We better wake up to the realization that there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't want to do what seems right to a man. I want to do what thus saith the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, we've got to be so careful that we don't, we don't let this, um, this, this gap between the worldliness and God's church, that we don't let those lines get blurred more and more and more and more. Uh, somebody said it this way. A friend of mine said it this way, and it's, it's very true. He said it's, it's almost like the church is an island, and the, the, the sea that surrounds that island is the world that the church is in. And every day the waves come and lap at that shore. And if, if there is no, uh, nothing to stop it, eventually that water will begin to make its way further and further and further inland. And then you begin to get swampy areas and, and different things like that. And you can, uh, you can go see some of that happen. But uh, that's why you go where I used to live in, uh, in Texas near the Gulf of Mexico. You could go in and you would see barriers that they have put up. Some of them man-made, some of them more natural. But a lot of times rocks. Barriers. Why do they have rocks around the edge of, of uh, the, the ocean where people live and stuff? They put them there because they're trying to keep that water from encroaching further and further in and taking more and more of that land. And I'm going to tell you, we'd better put some rocks of holiness in our lives that will keep the world from coming in and grabbing more and more about who we are. We've got to be careful of this. We've got to, we've got to guard against this. We must make sure that, that we do not let worldly thinking uh, get into our heads. I pray every day for my kids that they won't think like the world. I don't want my kids to think like this world. I want them to think uh, that there, there's just something different between me and the rest of this world. I don't want them to be comfortable in this world. Can I say that? I don't want my children to be comfortable in this world. I don't want my children to feel like they fit in with everything that goes on at school. I don't want them to think that. I know I'm an old school preacher right now. I'm, I'm messing with some folks right now. Well, you better let this preacher mess with you right now. We don't need our children to get that comfortable. We need our children to know that there is a difference between the holy and the unclean. 
Amen. That doesn't mean we, we try to make other people feel badly because they don't uh, do what we do or, or see it the way we see it. We don't try to beat anybody up. But in all of our kindness, what we certainly also cannot do is let go of who we are simply because we feel the pressure of society to say, if you really are who you say you are, if you're really a Christian, aren't Christians supposed to have the love of God? So why don't you love me more than to tell me and disagree with me? But I'm going to tell you, it's not love that goes along and agrees with everything. That's not love. Uh, there's other words for that, but it's not love. Love says, I I love my kids too much. I love my family too much. I love my church too much to let those things come in. Amen. So uh, when did God establish this principle of separation? If this is so important, then why is this this thing that we do now? uh, uh, When did this all begin I will tell you that God established the principle of separation in Genesis during the creation. Holiness was a part of who Adam and Eve were because there was no sin. There was no sin in that garden that God placed them into. They, they, they were innocent. They were pure. Uh, I believe that, that you, can, and you can study it and you can come to your own conclusion The Bible said when they did eat of that fruit, that's when they realized they were naked. I believe the reason they never knew that is because they were so innocent, they were so pure, they were made in the image of God, the Scripture declared, right? And God, who the Bible said that no man uh, had seen Him at any time. Um, And He is the invisible God, we are told in Scripture. It was that glory of God, that light, that, 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 they walked with in the garden and, and talked with the voice of God. And I believe that same light surrounded them so bright that they could not see their nakedness. And it was when they partook of the fruit that that went away. God had established, uh, God had established separation at that time. Um, he told them, he said, you're going to be separate from that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil you will be separated from that tree. If you eat of the fruit of that tree, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they they tested those limits, and they pushed the boundaries, and they should have never been near that tree. They should have never been near that tree. And I'm about to preach because something just hit me. So you hang on, parents, because I'm about to come after all of us right now, okay? They should have never been near that tree, but they got close to it. And when they got close to it, that serpent started talking to Eve. There's some things our kids don't even need to get close to. There's some things our kids have no business even getting near. They have no business going around them. Why? Because they're supposed to be separate from that. And they're too young at this particular time in their life. They're too young to make that decision. They're too, they're too naive to make that decision about where to go and what to do and how to do and all that stuff. They need a godly parent who will stand up and not be their friend, not be their buddy, but will be their parent and will say, this is who we are. This is how we will live. Help me, Holy Ghost. We... Parents, we must parent. 
Let's not just let that be a title that means nothing to us. Let us parent. Let me tell you about parenting. The Bible says train up a child in the way it should go. And he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. The, God did not say bring them to church and I'll put everything in them they need. God never said, bring them to church, let the Sunday school teachers at them, let the youth pastor at them, let the pastor at them, and if you'll just do that, it'll get them everything they need. And us try to shirk our responsibility and throw it on somebody else. He said, you train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. If I'm going to have my kids, and I'm not saying we get it right all the time, and I'm not saying if, even if you do everything right, everything's going to work out the way it needs to. Because kids are going to get to an age they're going to make their own decisions. But parents, you better hear me right now. Woe unto us if we don't do our part and we don't train them up in the way that they should go. We better be careful what we're telling them to pursue. If we're telling them to pursue everything else, if we're telling them to pursue just sports and make that their high calling, that's what they'll go after. If we tell them to pursue money and make it their high calling, it's what they'll go after. If we tell them to pursue prestige and make that their high calling, that's what they'll go after. But if you'll tell them to pursue holiness and make it their high calling, I'm telling you, we can get them to go after it. We can get them to go after it. Amen. When Adam and Eve sinned, they violated God's law and they were cut off from Him. Before they were separated from the sin, they were separated from the sin because they didn't have relationship with the tree. But now, now they're cut off from God because of the sin that has come into their life. We can only have a relationship with God. Please hear this, and I'll try to explain it. We only have relationship with God in the context of His holiness. We may meet with Him in moments where He will extend His hand toward us. I'm not saying that just because somebody has an encounter with God, it means they're living a holy life like they should. There may be moments He extends Himself toward them. But I am telling you, that continual ongoing relationship happens in the context of his holiness the high priest had a miter on his head that read holiness under the lord he had to wear that he had to wear that when he was doing the work of god and we are living if there has ever been a day and age in which we are seeing this want to creep into the church and again i'm not one that just going to beat the church up uh, i'm 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 going to lift our church up. And I'll be preaching to lift up as we go through all this. But neither am I going to put my head in the sand because I don't want to appear to be negative. There is a balance to be struck here, okay? I don't want to be pie in the sky and I don't want to be negative Nancy either. Hope nobody Nancy in here tonight. If you are, I sure hope you're not negative. We've got to strike this balance. We've got to be realistic with who we are and where we are. The church has to be realistic. Can somebody say amen? 
The church has to be realistic. We have to look at where we are. Every generation must do this. Every era must do this. We must see where we are. We must see what battles we are fighting. And we must stand up and fight our battles and retain the holiness of God. Please say amen. So this priest would wear that uh, mitre. He would go in there because it was holiness under the Lord. He always had to be reminded. It had to be at the forefront of his mind. Everything I do in this relationship business with God, it has to be with holiness unto the Lord. So we have come to live in the age, I believe, of Laodicea. I think at any given moment you can see all those churches in Asia Minor uh, in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. I think at any given moment you could perhaps point at different churches or different generations of people and, and, and in our generation say, well, you can see the spirit of Ephesus on there. You can see the, the, the spirit of Smyrna here, uh, Thyatira. You can see the spirit of Laodicea. And, and I believe we can do that uh, individually in all of that but I believe collectively we are living in the age of Laodicea collectively where the church wants to have the best of both worlds the church wants the power of God while being able to be accepted by the world we don't want to be on the other side of the tracks and we don't want to look too different and be too different and act too different that it would draw attention to us and people would ask us too many questions and it would make us uncomfortable. So let me be accepted enough where I don't have too many questions that come my way, but please don't let me lose the power of God. But I am telling you that it is lukewarmness like that that causes God to be nauseated with us when we will not firmly choose Him over everything else. God honors people who honor him God honors people who will honor God if we will honor God in our decisions if we will honor God in the commitments we make and standing for them I am telling you that God will honor us I I wouldn't dare call uh, names through the years of all that I would perhaps have ever known or come across or been acquainted with. But I will tell you that every time a church has left the principles of holiness, I have seen those churches lose the power of God. I know churches that have lost the power of God. And I know churches that think they have the power of God. But all they have is a, is a worldly semblance of something they attempt to conjure up. You can walk in there and it may, and it may be interesting, but it does not have the power that, that reaches out and grabs a hold of you like we feel in this building on a regular basis. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm looking forward as much as anybody is to building a new building and us getting over there and and having church and having great church. And I pray we fill it up. But I'll tell you right now, if that if we get to all of those things, but we I can't preach the way I'm preaching in this series and I can't stand for what I stand for in this pulpit. 
then you can find somebody else to come pastor this church because that's not who I'm going to be. I'll go back to preaching in my house. I'll go back to, to that little old room on Southwest Drive. I'd rather be in that room where we had the power of God than to be in the greatest building with the greatest crowd if we don't have this power. We've got to maintain the power of God. We've got to maintain the power of God. Let's not let the age of Laodicea creep in and begin to destroy from the inside what God has built his wonderful, wonderful church. When the early church began to drift from God, it started with the removal of holiness. I'm going to tell you that when that early church began to its drift, and it did, it started with the removal of holiness. There was a group of people that came in, and it's addressed in Revelation 2 or 3 in one of those chapters. There was a group of people who came in. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts, a man who came to be in leadership in that early church. His name was Nicholas. He was a proselyte of Antioch. And Nicholas came into the church. He received the truth. He obeyed the truth. And he became a part of the church, so much so that the disciples said, we see, we see that, that you're a man who's committed to this. And, and we want you to come alongside of us and help us by serving tables. Would you serve tables so we can give ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word? He was one of those chosen. And uh, later on, Nicholas uh, of Antioch, he began to look at some things and say, you know what? I know that when I got into this thing, those apostles were preaching some of this stuff. And they were saying, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we need to live holy, and we need to have separation from the world, and, and be different from our culture and the society in which we live. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's really all that important anymore. And, and Nicholas began to tear those things down. He began to remove the rocks from the seashore. And it got so bad that they became one of the most uh, lascivious uh, groups in that modern or in that early church. And the Lord came in in Revelation and he rebuked them. And he told them he would remove their candlestick if they did not repent and get their life right. He said, I will shut this church down. It started in that early church with the removal of holiness. But I will tell you that when the latter rain outpouring began to be poured out in, in mass as it, as it did in the early 1900s, it started. You go study the outpouring of Pentecost in the 20th century. Go look me up and find out if I'm telling you the truth. It started with a move back toward holiness. It was a move toward holiness. And when people said, we want to be holy before God, God said, that's the kind of people that I want to shower with revelation and truth. And God began to pour out revelation. And they started, they started receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And people said, that's crazy. But they said, uh, we read in the book of Acts where they received the Holy Ghost. And they said, let's go tarry in prayer. And they began to pray. And God began to fill them with the Holy Ghost. It wasn't too long after that that they, uh, they came together and they said, you know what? We see that baptism was never done in the titles. It was always done in the name of Jesus. They began to study the scripture and 
God gave them a revival of baptism in the name of Jesus. They started looking further. They said, you know what? There's not three gods. There's not three persons in a Godhead. There's only one God. There's only one God. And here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they got a hold of all that. It was revelation that came. But what preempted the revelation was a group of people who said we want to live holy before God. And I am going to tell you tonight, if this church will live holy before God, this church will have truth. Not only will this church have truth, not only will, will we get that doctrine right, but I am telling you we'll have doctrine right and we'll see people getting healed. We will see miracles. We will see signs. We will see wonders. God honors holiness. God honors holiness. Anybody who would address a holiness lifestyle to you, and if you are ever in discussion, anybody who would ever address a holiness lifestyle to you in derogatory terms or fashion is typically seeking to justify lifestyles that do not agree with the word of God. And if you're ever around, and if it's in this church, I'll rebuke it right now. If it's in this church, if you've had a conversation with somebody in this church and they have tried to tell you that stuff's not important, I, this pastor will tell you right now, they're wrong. They're wrong. I'm right. Those lines aren't important. Those standards aren't important. Am I okay? Do I ever bother y'all when I get like... <laughs> Those standards aren't important. Those lines aren't important. They're wrong. I'm right. Because I've got the Word of God to back me up. And if, that, if that's the way they begin to talk, you better separate yourself from them as quick as you can. But I love them. I want to reach for them. You better reach for them. But you better reach for them from a distance. You better get a hold of holiness and the things of God and reach from there. But don't you dare let go of this to get over there to them. You hold on to this no matter what. That's your anchor. That's what you've got to get a grip on. That's what you've got to get a grip on. Just because they can point out the inconsistencies of a few hypocritical hypocritical holiness folks does not negate God's call to holiness well I know sister so and so and sister so and so has got the worst attitude of anybody I've ever seen she looks holy and she's got it all right out here but she's she's as ugly and mean as anybody could be well she may be but that doesn't mean holiness isn't right y'all pray for me Are there going to be inconsistencies? You better believe it. If you look, you'll find them in my life. I don't always hit the mark. I don't always get to where I need to be. So that's why I'm going to keep going to that altar, repenting and saying, God, get me where I need to be. You better believe. Anybody will find any inconsistency they want to. All they got to do is look for it. All you got to do is look for it. If you want to see an inconsistency, if you want to see an issue in the church, you will see it. All you've got to do is look. So let's understand. Let's understand. Is that going to be in the church? That'll be in the church. But let me tell you what else is in the church. Faithful people. People who try. People who give it everything they've got. A righteous man may fall down seven times, but he's going to keep on getting back up. Look for that in the church. 
Look for what's right in the church. We were created in God's image. We were created in God's holy image. But in the fall, we lost that holiness. Sin entered, and holiness and sin are not cohabitants. Holiness and sin cannot cohabitate together. The, the clean and the unclean cannot be side by side. And let me, I tell you what, let me get to a scripture here. Um, and I, I didn't mark which one was which. I, I think, give me 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Kaylee, if you don't mind. 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. There we go. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Next verse. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Next verse. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them. Walk in them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's an Old Testament thing. Well, he quoted it in 2 Corinthians. That's New Testament. And touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Verse 18. And I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God said uncleanness, uncleanness and, 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 and holiness. It cannot, it cannot be in the same vessel. That it doesn't it, it doesn't have agreement and it cannot be in the same vessel. So we'd better make sure we'd better make sure that we are not trying to mix the two because then we become Laodicea. Then we become lukewarm and then God spits us out of his mouth. When we turn from sin and begin to follow after God, we begin to be sanctified, which is the process of God's holiness working in our lives. When we turn from sin, when we repent from that, and we begin to follow God, that is when sanctification begins to work in our lives, which is simply the process of becoming holy. That's all it is. It's the process of becoming holy. Now, this pastor teaches and this pastor preaches to you that holiness is a process. You can't... Uh, it, 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 it happens in a moment. Okay, let me explain it. Holiness happens in, in a moment. In, in a moment that's quicker than the blink of an eye. Holiness will happen to you. But then for you to maintain that holiness, you must let the process have its way in your life. And it is as we follow God and are obedient to his word. And I won't re-preach what I did the last two weeks. But I told you obedience is what will lead us into holiness. That's what allows us to be sanctified. Amen. That process is called sanctification when we obey God and we get holiness. Um, I want to end this evening talking. Isn't that good? I'm, I'm ta already talking about ending at 754. We doing all right? Yeah, we're doing all right. Good job. I want to talk... <laughs> I want to talk about our attitude of holiness. Could we go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15? Colossians chapter number 3, verses 12 through 15. 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. If you go back to verse 12 for me, I want to point something out there. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. This is, let me try to explain how he's saying this. Therefore, you need to put on, because you're the elect of God, you're the holy and beloved. Because you're holy. Okay? Put this on. Put this on. And he talks about an attitude of holiness. So what should our attitude of holiness look like? It should look like mercy. Because I'm going to tell you, before we start talking about anything on the outside, we better get this inside stuff right. Jesus pointed at some Pharisees. He said, on the outside, you are whited sepulchers. You, you, you look as pure as a driven snow on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones. You put on a great front. Oh, you're great. You're, 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 you're great people. Oh, you go into the temple and you drop your money in and you go into the temple and you pray and, 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 and you're, you're known as such a person of prayer and, and, and all these things you do. Boy, you look real good. You're a whited sepulcher. But I'm telling you, on the outside, you're full of dead men's bones. So if we don't get our attitude right, it don't matter what's happening on the outside. And what's on the inside needs to make its way to the outside. But let's start with the inside. Amen. It should be an attitude of mercy. We should have an attitude of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Why, Lord? For they shall obtain mercy. If you don't, let me tell you what our natural inclination needs to be. Our natural inclination needs to be that we look for every opportunity possible to show mercy. I want to say that again. We don't look for an opportunity to say, I told you so. We're not looking for an opportunity to say they messed up again. We are always looking for an opportunity to say, come here, because we want to love you again. It is my goal to be a man of mercy. Who knows when your kids will need it? Who knows when my kids will need it? Who knows when I might need it? God forbid. But if you ever hear I fell in a ditch. I hope you'll still have mercy on me. I hope our holiness. I hope that I would have preached and taught holiness in this church in such a way. That we'd have an attitude of holiness. That said I want to reach for that person. God help us to, to show mercy. God help us to show mercy. If you can't let go of something, the issue is not with them. The issue is with you. If you can't let go of it, the issue is not with them. 
the issues with you. Blessed are the merciful. In order to show mercy, that means somebody had to really mess up bad. That's the whole point of mercy. That should be our attitude. Thank God for a good Samaritan. Thank God for a man who wouldn't cross to the other side of the road and pass on by, but said, you not like me. Everything about us is different. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You don't care for my people. My people don't care for you. But you're a person in need and a person that's got to have help. And I'm going to reach out for you and try to help you with everything I can. Let that be this church. Let's have an attitude of mercy. Let's have an attitude of kindness. This is all what was in that list that I read from Colossians 3, 12 through 15. If you want to write that down, where the attitude of holiness comes from. We should be kind people. That shouldn't need a whole lot of expository. We should be kind people. We should be, we, we should be known as the folks who don't get upset easy. And we should be known as the folks who will help you out. We should be kind people. And standing for what we stand for, we can do it with kindness in our hearts. We can be who we are. And we can do it with kindness. We must be humble people. Not thinking too much of ourselves. We don't allow. Well. Let's, and that's what those Pharisees. That's part of what they were doing. Well I. Jesus rebuked them. Oh you tithe on your mint. And your all your herbs and all this stuff. You get it down to the littlest detail. Buddy aren't you doing it really well. And you ought to do those things. He told them. He said, but you've missed the weightier matters of the law. They were very proud of what they did. They were very proud of it. And we better make sure that pride doesn't enter into our hearts. And I have warned us before, but we'd better be careful in our seeking of God. And I feel to say this again. We better be very careful in our seeking of God that we don't become prideful and think that we are more spiritual than other people. I'm telling you, that's a trap of the devil. The devil will will use your spirituality against you if he gets a chance. And it's in the scripture, you'll see it. And I've seen it in, in person through the years where somebody became prideful because, well, I pray more than anybody else or I read the Bible more than anybody else. Nobody, nobody loves God like I Nobody serves God like I do. Nobody's as faithful to God as I am and, and feel like they could be Look down on somebody else. That's not an attitude of holiness. Keep reading your Bible. It's just going in one ear and out the other. It's not doing you any good. Keep praying. It's just, it's just hitting brass. The Lord said the heavens will become brass. It's not going to do you any good. You better have an attitude of humility. You better have an attitude of meekness. You, you ought to be mild. You, you better have an attitude of patience. Patience. Not pushing. Be patient. You better have an attitude of forbearing, lifting up one another. You better have an attitude of forgiveness. You better have an attitude of love. Agape love, unconditional. Extended without expectation of return. Agape love will help bring completeness to the Christian in every area of their lives. Better have an attitude of peace, harmony between you and others. Not sowing discord, 
an attitude of peace. There's too many, there's too many, there's too many in churches who claim to be children of God, who maybe they don't even do it intentionally, but they do not have an attitude of peace. We need to be, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to be those. There's my time right there. I just heard it. We need to be those who will bring peace in situation. And find there, I'm, I hear you. <laughs> Mine just went into the red right when that happened. That couldn't have been timed any better. We better be a people of thanksgiving. Joyful acceptance is what I'm talking about there. People of thanksgiving. Let us have joyful acceptance. That, that we obey what God has called us to do. We obey God even the mid, in the middle of circumstances and situations that appear to us to go south. We still obey God. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're looking for everything to be right and perfect in your life, you're never going to find it here. Can I get an amen? Everybody said amen. It won't happen. It's not going to happen. Not this side of glory. It will never happen. We live in a fallen world. Things are going to happen. I mean, just tell you right now, holy people get sick. Holy people have problems in their families. Holy people lose jobs. Holy people go through turmoil and all kinds of horrible storms in their life. It can happen for anybody. But joyful acceptance says, this may be what has come my way. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's joyful acceptance. God, this may be my lot, and I may not like it, but God, whatever my lot is, you've taught me to say, it is well. If this is what we've got to walk through, we'll walk through it. It is well. It is well. And if you look at the story of the prodigal son, and if you compare the father of that son against the older brother of that son, you will see that the father exhibited the attitude of holiness and how he dealt with that son. The older brother had none of those traits. And I am going to tell you, we'd better be careful that we don't let the spirit. And I know, I know we preach good messages about it. And I'll probably preach one sometime again, too, where we say, yeah, but let's not beat up on that older brother too much. Because while that prodigal was out there, he was still living for God. He was still. Oh, yeah, he was. He just did it with a horrible attitude. I know it preaches real good. The problem is he still had a stinking attitude. So let's not try to justify the older brother. All right? And if I come preach that sometime, don't y'all throw this in my face. I'd rather try to help you while you're in the church rather than wondering if you'll ever come back to the church. But I'm going to tell you right now, neither one of them were right. Neither one of them, according to my Bible, neither one of them were going to make heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
There's another scripture that says, if you withhold it, he'll withhold it from you. There's a parable in there where he said, if you won't show it, then I'm going to take every bit I ever gave to you back. Neither one of them were going to heaven, folks. They were both sinners. The father had the attitude of holiness. The older brother didn't. Let's make sure we get the attitude right. The older brother had everything great on it, but let's get the attitude right. And that's what I'm praying. Let's stand together tonight. I want us to pray this specifically tonight. I want us to pray that God would help develop in us a holy attitude. Let me say it this way. That God would develop in us a holy spirit. That my spirit, not not talking about his spirit. His spirit's always holy. I'm talking about my spirit. That I would have a holy spirit, which is an attitude. That I wouldn't get caught up with everything else. God, help me to have a holy spirit. Could we make that a prayer right now? Please don't let this just be a close-out prayer. I want you to really mean it. I want you to really mean it right now.